All right, everybody, welcome back to episode eight of the Watch Your Tone podcast. I'm your host, once again, Tony D'Angelo, joined by Lou D'Angelo and Aaron Huffnagel. And you're starting to get used to this, but once again, no Ron Greco. He got an email from Amazon that his mic will not be here till October. So we told him to buy a new one. I've offered to buy him one, but he's taking his time. So we hope to get him on next week. We'll try for episode nine, but Greco's still out of commission. I know you guys are going to miss him. Starting off, what we're going to talk about today, we got a lot more NHL playoffs to cover as the series continue to go on, and the second round has started. Uh, some interesting news around the NHL today, and we'll cover on a few other sports at the later part of the episode. And in a little bit, we're also going to be joined by Brendan Lemieux, so we'll get you guys to that pretty soon. Starting off, big news around the NHL this week. Two pretty uh, two pretty big moves, one management and coaching-wise, another another trade. So just today we had a trade. Kasperi Kapanen goes from Toronto to... Pittsburgh, I think Pittsburgh is maybe looking to clear some cap. Sorry, Toronto's looking to clear some cap space as they free up $3.2 million. They bring back Rodriguez, who's a pending free agent. They get a first-round pick and a prospect. So a pretty big trade while the playoffs are still going on between two teams that had early exits. What are your guys' uh, What are your guys takes on that so far with that? I think Toronto has a lot more moves to come, or you think just trying to free up some space? I think we're going to see Toronto uh, blow it up here. I mean, keep some of their – you know, main guys, obviously, that they have to keep. Uh, but I think they're going to get back to the drawing board here and see if they could change it up and actually get something done. I think it's a bit of an odd mood, to be honest, because Kapanen was a uh, part of their organization earlier. He only played four games with Wilkes-Barre. He never cracked the NHL. And now, all of a sudden, Jim Rutherford wants him back. Uh, I don't know. I think, you know, giving up a first round for that, uh, for a player like that, is a little bold as well. I think this is kind of uh, five years down the road. We're going to see if this move pans out for either team. You can't really tell right now. No, I agree with that. I think uh, Rutherford knows he needs scoring wingers. They don't have a ton of cap space. Needs scoring wingers to put with uh, to put with Crosby and Malkin, and who knows how much how many runs they have left. So, I think in Rutherford's opinion, he's willing to pay a little more of a price right now to get players, certain players that he likes, to fit and complement Crosby and Malkin as they. Uh, come to the later part of his career because you don't know how many runs they have left. So he's going to be as aggressive as he can to keep that team. And, you know, with them kind of players, they're always going to be around the hunt. So I, uh, Rutherford's aggressive. He makes bold moves all the time. And he said it, he said it was going to be changed in Pittsburgh. So they're already starting. And I'm sure they're going to make plenty more moves. Toronto, on the other hand, I don't know how crazy they're going to go. I mean, they have a good core, man. I think them guys are stars, all of them, Marner, Matthews, Nylander. They got Morgan Riley, so I'm not sure how crazy Toronto is going to go, but obviously, you know, they need to clear some space. So they're just, uh, that's move number one. I think a lot of people are assuming they're going to make move number two, three, four, five, six. I'm not sure what they're going to do. I think it's, I'm 50, 50 on, it. I feel like they could keep going and keep moving some guys, but at the same time, they're so good offensively and stuff. Maybe they just need a couple of different pieces to get where they want to go. So we'll see, but uh, interesting move there and Washington capitals fire their head coach which seemed to be expected by many following that playoff loss and just an inconsistent second half before the, before the break. So the Capitals fire their coach and now need to find a new coach. And I'm expecting it to be a veteran more of like they had when they had trots because you see what trots is doing with the Islanders now. And obviously they want to cup with them. So my hot take for the guest would be Peter Laviolette. I thought Gerard Gallant maybe at first, and I think uh, he's definitely a possibility, but Peter Laviolette to me seems like the, uh, could be a choice for them guys there. I was talking to you in the gym earlier. I said Gallant's a good spot for the for the Caps. I mean, they're just going to buzz around, shoot the puck, play offense. Yeah, I mean, with Gallant, them guys would really, you know, it's kind of, I don't know what they want to do. I'm, I'm not sure what direction they want to go in. Do they want to go more like Trots or they want to go, Gallant and Trots are pretty, uh, <laughs> are pretty opposite. <laughs> and obviously coached against each other when Washington, when Washington did beat Vegas. So I never know if that'll play into it as well. But it'd be interesting to see who they hire. I'm thinking it's going to be a veteran guy, though, as they're in the same situation as Pittsburgh. Some of their top guys maybe getting a little like Ovechkin and stuff. Who knows how much uh, time he has left or how many runs they have left with him. So we'll see. Uh, Come on. Ovi's going to be around until he's like 50. I think so. I think Ovi's going to be around for a while. But uh, we'll see what happens there. All right. We're, uh, we just wanted to give you two quick updates on the NHL, the trade and the coach firing. Those are the two really big moves. Also, Robbie Fabry was re-signed, but pretty quiet uh, besides that with the teams are out. And now we're going uh, to turn it right over. Let's bring in Brendan Lemieux. All right. We're now joined by fellow Ranger teammate and one of my closest friends that I've played with, Brendan Lemieux. Pepe, uh, thanks for coming on, brother. 
Thanks for having me, boys. I'm happy to be on the show. It's been a long time coming. Glad we could get it done this week. And time. So we ran a poll. Louis ran a poll on our Twitter page, and we asked who we uh, like who they were looking to hear speak. And you came back unanimous decision. So the fans are going to be interested in what you have to say. Obviously, they want you on here. I know a lot of what the answers are going to be to the questions. So a lot of these questions we're going to ask you are going to come from the uh, come from the guys. But I'm going to start off and just ask what a day in a life like for Pepe right now is uh right now I'm just finishing up the tail end of my uh vacation I came down to uh Florida or excuse me South Carolina sorry it feels like Florida it's so humid but uh, I did some fishing and some golfing and hanging out with some friends and it's been a good vacation so right now that's it but tomorrow I head back uh to New York to get back to work and uh start training and maybe playing a little golf alongside it and um you know, get back in the swing of things. So we seen that fish on your Instagram page. What was that and how big was it? It was a red fish uh, and it was 60 pounds. It was the biggest, not one of the biggest fish I ever caught. Uh, definitely the biggest fish, um, not out in the open ocean. So it was fun. It was a big kind of a river type deal we were in and it was an absolute riot. We caught about six fish and um, that was a hog, man. That took me a, a good sweat and a long <laughs> 15 minutes to get in the boat. 15 minutes doesn't sound that bad though for a 60 pounder. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it, it, it's not very deep. We're only in 15 feet of water. So 15 minutes and 15 feet of water is, you know, a long time just to move a fish, for, you know, whatever, 40 feet or 50 feet. I hear you. All right. So our first question, we'll get into the, we'll get right into the hockey part here. We're not going to keep you too long. This is one that I'm probably going to steal Huff's question, but this is one that we all wanted to, uh, it was unanimous and wanted to ask it. So obviously you grew up with Claude Lemieux as your dad in an NHL locker room from a young age. So we'll kind of piggyback a couple of questions off this. What was it like growing up around NHL locker rooms and with a professional dad? And do you think that obviously it's probably a dumb question, but do you, how easy do you think it is for you now being a pro having that experience to come right in? Like, I think I'll start off on the tail end of that question. It's definitely not easy. Um, but it definitely does help. I would say it can it can be good in a lot of ways, and then it can also be bad in a lot of ways. And what I mean by that is uh, there's a lot of good young hockey players and, and older hockey players that stats played in the league. And so I, I'm often compared to, you know, the likes of Kachuk and Domi and these guys, and there's a lot of great hockey players that dads play. And I don't get along very well with any of them, but uh, DeBrusque and, you know, all these guys, but there's a lot of good hockey players. And so it's, you know, you put yourself in a tough category right off the bat. But with that being said, you know, having my dad in my corner is, um, I don't know any other way. You know, I don't, I don't know what it's like to have someone else as a dad, so I can't speak to how that would be. But um, it's all I've ever known, and it's, I definitely try to use it to my advantage. And, um, you know, I love having him there to call after games to know that I have, you know, someone that's won four cups to to ask about what it's like to play in the playoffs and what my mindset mindset should be and how I should approach you know playing in the game. And it was funny this year he he didn't really have too much to tell me. You, you know, playing in a bubble, no fans, it's a very different scenario. But definitely had some um, some good advice just on a mindset and coming into a series late. He's he's been in my shoes before on that end, and so he's always been able to you know kind of help me uh, along those lines. And, you know, growing up in a dressing room, um, it's all I've ever known. I've been around the game my whole life and I've always enjoyed it. And it's been, it's been awesome. I got to know some great, you know, hockey players and people, um, through the game. So it kind of helped mold what kind of player and person I wanted to be. I, if I had to throw out a few names of my favorites, I'd say, uh, my favorite always growing up watching, uh, more as a fan would be Peter Forsberg, but then as people, and then as fans also, uh, Jeremy Roenick, um, Joe Thornton, just to name a few. Pepe, uh, how, how hard is that to come into a series late? And what do you do as a player to stay prepared? Because obviously, you know, it's, it's fucking tough. It's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you guys know it was kind of a shit show this year. I mean, not just with hockey, but with everything, you know. Yeah, the still wearing masks. And we're still, you know, it, it's just the world isn't what it was six months ago and um so it, it wasn't easy but like I'm not going to complain I'm a hockey player and I'm young and with a good immune system so you know what am I going to say about 
whining and bitching, but staying, staying prepared, staying, uh, you know, staying ready. I had to do that. And then once we kind of kicked into gear and got into training camp, we got in our own little bubble in New York and then the bubble shifted to the actual bubble. It was like anything else, you know, it was kind of like coming off an injury, except it wasn't a long one. So as far as the other guys, I wasn't that far behind. I only actually missed three days of games going on. So I came in late and it was tough to watch that first game. I'll tell you how physical that series was. And, um, you know, watching guys quickie go down and all that going on. It was just, it was tough to sit there. It was tough to deal with. I was, you know, I really wanted to play, but that's how it is sometimes. And so I came in late and it just sucks that we weren't able to get the win. I felt like we were right there and, you know, a couple really good opportunities to get a lead in that game and just kind of slipped out of our grasp. And then we ended up all, you know, losing the three in a row. So it sucked, but um, a lot of good ex- learning experiences for our team, I think. In my opinion, sorry, before you jump in, I'm just going to give my quick opinion. I thought that obviously I'm on the same page as you with the series, but when we got you back, I thought that was one of your best games of the year and it was just such a boost for our team. So in my opinion, if we would have had you for the whole series, maybe it could have been, uh, if you made the impact on you in the third game, game one and two, it really would have helped us. So I thought missing you was big for us. The whole team did. So it's interesting to hear your take on jumping back in, but go ahead, Lou. What was going to say? No, go ahead. Let Pepe go first. No, I appreciate that tone. Thanks. I love it when you pump my tires. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, it well. No, I, I mean, listen. Who's to who's to say, you know, what what makes a difference in what game? And you know, um, I, I think it's it's hard to play that game with sports and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it was just an unfortunate a series of unfortunate events with the suspension coming at the end of the season and the season getting canceled and missing the first two. So you can never really play that game in sports. You just got to kind of move on and take the experiences you get and take them into the future. So, you know, learn from them. And I think that'll be good for our team moving forward. And um, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of positives we can take away from it because that's all we can really do. Can't dwell on the past and play the what if game. You know, if we would have won, it's like, you know, I watch Winnipeg. I'm with my buddy in uh, South Carolina here, Rozovic. He played, uh, for the Jets and if you know he's looking back on his season last year if they would have beat uh, St. Louis in the first round yeah, you know who's to say they the couldn't cup. have won the cup exactly yeah I mean you can't you can't play that game 100%. his team matches up differently against every other team you just it's too hard in sports to play that so you really just got to take it one game at a time and learn from your experiences and kind of get past them agreed go ahead Lou I was going to say I mean your dad had such a great career do you feel pressure as a player to live up you know, the standards he played at and how much would you say you model your game after his? You know, um, I think it's kind of to each their own. I I could definitely try to take that on my shoulders, but I know how, you know, fortunate my dad was uh, to have the career that he had. And he was definitely a hell of a player, came from a very different background than I've uh, come from. And I, I try not to compare myself in that aspect to my dad because it's just a tough comparison. Um, he, you know, he was like, he always said he won four cups with three different teams and he always did them on the backs of incredible goaltenders. And there's just so much that stacks up into winning a cup and so much that stacks up into being a playoff performer. You know, one, one year, I, you know, I could be a little off on these numbers, but one year he had, I think 13 goals in the regular season and 14 in the playoffs. And so he really was an all playoff guy and um, he Amazing. had his worst regular season followed by his best playoff performance. Um, and I mean, or maybe not his worst, but he wasn't a great year. And he just, you know, he always talked about how playing in the playoffs is very different for guys like us or very different for a lot of guys. And it can be very similar for guys like us because we always play that same way. And the playoff game just suits our style better. Your game doesn't have to change. So I've always tried to play that way and tr- tried to be a playoff player, even in the regular season, even if it doesn't get me, you know, more money or more goals, but my game is built for playoffs. And that's kind of what I've tried to do my whole life. And I've just always waited for an opportunity to play in the playoffs and get that chance. But with that being said, you know, as far as me comparing my career to my dad's, I try not to do it because it's just a, it's a tall order. Um, my dad was an exceptional player and had an unbelievable career, but I definitely try to build my game after his. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of style that works in the playoffs, too, if you really look at it. You need guys that play that style game. You, the way your old man played, other physical guys across the league, Tom Wilson's in the league. Those are guys that make major differences in playoff series. So 
I also agree with you there. Uh, we got a couple more. We got a couple more questions. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Pepe. Uh, what was the transition like going from the American League to the uh, NHL? Because I know you got a fifty games at least under your belt down there, and actually a lot of points. So just just wondering what the jump was like, and if there was any adjustments that you uh, you know had to learn quick. Well, I mean, I'll be pretty frank with you guys. I played in the American League in Winnipeg. Um, and for those that don't know, in, in Winnipeg, our American League team plays in the same arena at home as the Jets do. So the transition was pretty much across the hallway. Um, but it was just <laughs> a not know bigger, that. bigger, you know, it was just a more full stadium and a different group of guys. And a bigger paycheck. And obviously my minute, <laughs> bigger paycheck and my minutes went from, in Winnipeg, I think I went from probably around 18 a night to probably around, you know, six a night. So, <laughs> I mean, there was definitely a, there was definitely a big transition. We had a great, you know, team in Winnipeg and I was just happy to be in the NHL. It took me longer than I thought it would to make it and finally crack the lineup. I felt like I could have been a fourth liner when I was, you know, I'd like to think when I was 18, 19, 20, but it took me till I was really 21 to get some games under my belt and and um, so I, it, it's a definitely a different league and, and I'm fortunate that I got to play in that league. So I understand when guys get called up, how that, you know, how that is for them. And I'm glad that um, I got that perspective and it's a humbling experience for sure. But I don't have any interest in playing in that league anymore. I, li- I like the National Hockey League. Um, no, I figured that for sure. <laughs> but, but most definitely um, it's a definitely you know, great learning experience. If I was a GM, I'd probably spend uh, all my prospects to play a few games down there at least so that they could get that, you know, that experience and that uh, different outlook on how fortunate they are to really be playing in the NHL. Yeah, I said the same thing last week, Pep. I told these guys that looking back on it now, even though I didn't enjoy my time in the AHL and I thought I should be in the NHL, I probably wasn't ready at first to come right in and play. You know what I mean? You know, we thought we were ready. And when you look back on it now, It helps. It helps you as players. It helps you as players. So everybody wants. Well, yeah, I think that and guys like us, you know, we got a little on our shoulder and we got, you know, a little more confidence than other guys. And so humbling guys like us for a little while can definitely uh, be a positive. My thing on it is how how long is too long. And so (laughs) you don't want to you don't want to over you don't want to overcook guys to the point where they they. they get down on themselves and then that starts working against them. So I think it's a fine line and it's a really tough job to be an NHL GM and you deal with it with a lot of players and salary cap and whatnot. So it's never easy, but I think, um, I think every player should play a few games down there for sure. Yeah. I mean, in, your, in your case, especially you were on a team that was absolutely stacked too, with Winnipeg stacked all over the line. Yeah, most definitely. So as a GM in Winnipeg, you're saying to yourself, all right, I got one of my top young prospects. When's the right time to bring him up? Like you said, you were playing 18, 19 minutes to go down to six, but at the same time, the time has to be at some point anyway. So it's a, uh, it's a fine line yeah. for those guys to make decisions like that. Yeah, most definitely. Your style works too for that Winnipeg team. They, they needed some grit and, you know, with yeah. Shifley and Wheeler and all those guys. Works better in Ranger blue. Yeah. For me, yeah. that was the, that was the hard part is like, I felt like I could help that team even if I played six minutes. Mm-hmm. So even when you're playing 18, 19 in the minors, you're looking up and you're like, well, they don't have anybody really like me. So why not let me play six minutes? I'm going to play six minutes when I play eventually. So just let me do it now. Let me help you guys and let me help myself get some games under my belt. And, you know, that's kind of a mindset of a young player that I feel like gets lost in maybe from a fan's perspective that they don't understand or see. Um, when, it, when it comes to a, a more skilled player, or a kid that needs ice, a lot of fans are like, oh, you know, let's get this kid up. Let's play. Let's get this kid playing on the fourth line. He's better than this fourth liner. It's like, it's not that simple. That mm-hmm. kid can't afford to go up and play six minutes and lose his confidence because it'll work against him. And you're hurting the team. Playing and, and, you're, and, you're, and you're hurting the team along the way because that kid, you know, once he loses his confidence, he's going to be, he can turn into a liability. So it's just that, that's just my personal opinion on it. You know, I could, who knows how much I know on it, but. Um, that's, yeah, as a, you know, as a young maybe, player, you need that attitude and, too. I think people understand. Yeah, that, that's just my opinion. Yeah. I think outsiders of the game don't understand as much as there's certain guys like yourself and a Jesper Foss type, like I'm based off the Rangers right now. I'm talking that could play all over the line. You could play from first line to fourth line where there's some prospects that come up in the league. And if they're not playing top six, it could really hurt them. They're not made for, you know, they need to be a certain style of player playing a certain style game. 
you know, to suit their game, certain skill guys and stuff. So people get that. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, it comes down to is that is that young player better than one of the guys in our top six right now? Yeah, and that's that's a tough question, especially when you look at a team like our team. I mean, I don't know very many players in the world that are can beat out a lot of guys in our top six. We got a we got a great top six and you know, we got a we got a really good team all around. It's just coming together, learning, growing, putting all the pieces together and um and building those building those young guys into guys that can come in and contribute. It's it's a fun group to look at in the future, to be honest with you. I'm really excited about next year. Louis got another one for you. Yeah, we're going to hop in. I just want to talk about the style of game you actually do play. You know, you're a guy that plays with an edge and more of a gritty game. You hit, you know, draw penalties, everything like that, um, you know, and you drop the gloves here and there too. Would you say that you enjoy dropping the gloves or you just do it because you're doing it for the team? Um, That's a good one, Louis. I think uh, <laughs> I think there's definitely times when I d- most, you know, I, I want to do it. And uh, sometimes, you know, it's for a teammate or sometimes, but I, I'd say a, a good percentage of the time I'm doing it because uh, I feel like it's the right situation either for the team uh, to get back into a game, to get some momentum, uh, to wake up, or if it's, you know, a situation where I'm sticking up for a teammate. But then, you know, like I said, a lot of the time I'm doing it because uh, I feel like it's right for either sticking up for myself because I'm on the back end. I draw a lot of penalties. I'm on the back end of a lot of abuse being that physical guy being a guy they know they can whack and get away with it because I'm doing a lot of whacking myself. And so sometimes it's, you know, it's for me. And then sometimes it's for the teams like momentum to win a game, to get back into a game. And then sometimes it's just purely sticking up for a teammate, a young guy, a skilled guy, whatever it may be. So it's really situational, but I, I wouldn't say I don't enjoy it. I'll put it that way. Now, a lot of people, what they don't know, you know, Pepe knows, you know how I feel about the, uh, about the fighting and the way you stick up for teammates. I love it. But uh, a lot of people don't know or realize, I should say, how many penalties you actually do draw. And I don't know the exact statistic. How many, you know, and you could talk, you know, we talk about this all the time. For people that don't know, by the way, Pepe and I drive together to the practice ring every day. So we talk about all this kind of stuff. And that's why I'm letting the other guys ask most of the questions because we kind of go through it daily. But do you know exactly? I know we talked about this before. Do you know exactly where you rank in penalties drawn? Is there a stat for that? I I don't I don't know. I know I'm I know I'm always up there. Uh, it always depends on like I missed broke my hand this year, so I missed quite a few games. But uh, I'm usually up there in the league percentage game played. Uh, yeah, probably in the top ten. We're in the top three. Every you know every uh, in, in my first two years. I think either Sam Rosen or Joe Micheletti or one of the guys uh, mentioned it before a game that you were in the top three for penalties drawn. All right. Yeah. So I, I, you know, usually those are skilled guys. They cut McDavid and Larkin and those kind of guys draw them by their skating, but guys like me, it's more of an art form. Um, and, and not, not an art form like of diving or of, but it's, but it's being in people's faces, getting into sticks, getting into bodies, being in front of the net, taking abuse over time. You're going to draw penalties. You're just in hard areas. You're forcing guys to move you. And a lot of times, uh, if they don't want to move you the right way, they're going to take a penalty doing it. So it's an art that's form kind of where I people off. Yep. To be totally honest with you. People <laughs> don't like playing against <laughs> well, you. Well, yeah, there's a bit of, there's a bit of that too. Now, all right, before we let you go, we got three more questions. Um, quick ones. This one, we're supposed to have Trevor Latowski, who we both played for. You played for him in Windsor. I played for him in Sarnia as head coach, former NHLer, longtime NHLer. Tell me your, uh, give me your thoughts on playing for Lute so I could give it back to him next week. Oh, he's awesome. I absolutely loved it. Um, I was, I was at the end of my junior career, um, and I had a blast. I was only with him for a short time and, uh, we had some fun with, uh, with Rocky there coaching and, uh, Warren Reichel. So I, I enjoyed my time. He's a great coach and, um, we had a fun little playoff run. I'll never forget that, uh, that game we played in, uh, in Windsor there. Uh, I scored three goals. We were down by three, down by three, I think, in the series. I scored three goals, and I've never heard an arena that wasn't sold out so loud. I'll, it was one of my favorite junior hockey games I ever played. That was an absolute blast. And um, and I remember every time I scored a goal, I came back to the bench, and I sat in the hole. And I, I remember the look on Lucia's face, but Rocky was screaming at me to get out of the hole, like the, the seat behind the door. 
because yeah. I was so tired. You know, Tony, you know me. When I get fired up, I get really tired really fast. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I, I scored one. I went back to the bench. I sat in the hole. Rocky yelled at me, Pep, get out of the hole. Get out of the hole. Sit in the middle of the bench. And then I scored another. And then I he yelled, get out of the hole. Get back to the middle of the bench. And this was all on one five-minute power play. And then he goes, get out of the hole. Sit in the middle of the bench. And then I scored the third one. And I, by the end, I sat back down. I sat in the hole. And I go, can I rest now? <laughs> and Luch, Luch, I remember Luch was dying. <laughs> He's, so that was funny. Guy. He actually texted me last week and said, uh, he said, I heard you and Pepe started the podcast. I can only imagine what's being said from you two on there. Uh, <laughs> I said, well, we'll have to get you on. I said, Pepe's, I said, it's my, like, it's my podcast, but we're going to have to get you on anyway. I need to hear some Pepe, Pepe stories from Windsor. Um, no, last, that's awesome. two, last two of these are easy ones for you is before we finish up. First one is superstitions. Do you have any? Do you not have any? I'm pretty easy. I just, put my left elbow pad on before my right, my left skate before my right. I don't know why I do it. I've always done it. And then I say a prayer, um, during the anthem or just thereafter. Um, you know, just thank God for the opportunity to play the game that I love and, um, you know, the chance to do it every day and make it my living. I like it's it. actually hilarious that you said the left elbow pad. I was left knee pad before I would play. If I would pull it out and it would say right knee pad, I was having a horrible game. So, I tried to <laughs> I tried to rig it afterwards and just leave my left knee pad on the top of the bag so it would come out first. But that's too funny. Um, actually, <laughs> that's awesome. Two more. Huff, you wanted to ask about his stick before I hit him with the final question. Oh, yeah. You're still using that all-white tailor-made, huh? No, it was an all-white warrior stick, and I'm not using it. And uh, I like it. I, I'm not – I'm not I, – I loved it. I loved it. But warrior uh, – I don't know. They changed some things up on me with their stick this year. So at Warrior Hockey, we need to have a long conversation about those sticks. There we go. About future years with Brennan Lemieux. There you go, Warrior. <laughs> we'll tag him. We'll tag him in the post when he releases. <laughs> All right. Last one. Give the, uh, give the New York people some love. This is the kind of stuff they want to hear. Tell us your favorite part about being a Ranger and playing in New York City before we let you go. Well, that's the easiest question you gave me. I love Rangers fans. I love, you know, playing for the blue shirts. I love the blue seats. I love the blue collared fans. I think that's pretty obvious with the way I play. Um, and I love playing in Madison Square Garden. I mean, there's no better city to live in. There's no better place in the world. Can't wait till it's back up and running and back to where it was, you know, when I started playing for the Rangers and just the beginning of this year. So I miss it. I can't wait, you know, to be back next week. I hope it's coming around the corner and we can get back to uh get back to doing what we love to do which is you know giving each other hugs and uh and playing <laughs> hockey and scoring goals and high fives and all that yep i hear you and the fans the fans of new york definitely love you too so they're gonna like that pep enjoy the rest of your vacation we appreciate all the insight thanks for coming on and uh, we'll talk to you soon brother all right buddy i love you guys thanks for having me on tone i'll see you soon thanks buddy once again, thanks for Pepe for coming on. Great interview. I think the fans are going to find that uh, really insightful. Pepe likes to talk. Me and him, like I mentioned a couple minutes back when talking to him, we drive to the rink every day together, so we have them talks all the time. So it's good to uh, – he's an insightful guy. He's got an opinionated guy on a lot of things, and he knows his stuff, grew up in the hockey family, so I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy that. But uh, getting back to what we were talking about before and we talked about last week was the playoff series. And we're on to round two now with some interesting matchups and interesting series, the way they've started. Obviously, finishing off last series, finishing off last series, excuse me. Everybody knows what happened. But let's jump right into what's going on early on in the second round, fellas. We'll start off with Dallas and Colorado. Which I'm has surprised. Been a major surprise. Yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah, you set yourself surprised. I didn't see the Avs going down 2-0 at all. No one did, but you got to give it to Dallas, and you got to give it to that goalie for stepping in when Ben Bishop gets hurt. Kadobin? Kadobin's been great. What I'm most shocked about in that series, Dallas is a real good team. They got Dallas players. Dallas struggled to score for a while before the, the break, and they struggled to score in the round robin early a little bit, and they lost three out of the four games. You know, Sorry, two out of the three games. They beat St. Louis in the last one to get that uh, one-spot higher seed. And – Early on in the Calgary series, look at they were just about dead. They scored that goal with six seconds left. They haven't looked back. They've been on fire since. Since they scored with six seconds left when we talked last week, they won that game, wind up finishing off Calgary. 
and now have just been on a scoring tear. Yeah, I mean, you got Pavelski, who's just a playoff performer, and he's doing what he normally does, performing. And I feel like a guy you don't really hear about a ton, I don't feel like he gets a ton of national coverage, is he's going to – he's lighting the playoffs up right now, 14 points already through the playoffs, second in the whole league in playoff points. So he's really helping out Dallas from the back end, and they look pretty good. He's a stud, and he's also the kind of guy that can keep up with McKinnon's speed. McKinnon's obviously had a great start to the series, but Heskinen can keep up with his speed if it comes – you know, I'm not sure if uh, that's the matchup they're going to go with the whole series or whatever, but Heskinen can skate right with anybody. So I'm surprised more at Colorado. Dallas is a really good team, and I think they're finally starting to score, which could give anybody trouble. Hudobin's playing well, like Huff said. But all of a sudden now we're not seeing any depth scoring from Colorado, and they're one of the deepest teams in the league. So they need to get the depth scoring back fast if this series is going to keep going. Because right now you're just seeing McKinnon and Rantanen, which if I'm Dallas, I'm almost going to live with that and say, all right, you know, if you look at the first two games, McKinnon and Rantanen have done all the score for Colorado, basically, but they're not getting much depth scoring. So if we, you know, if their depth guys are going to beat Colorado, they feel like they're in pretty good position and their power play has been good. So obviously it's easy to say when they're up two nothing, but Dallas looks to be pretty good shape right now. I think Colorado is so good and so deep though, that you cannot count them out. I think they could easily get back in this series with a, you know, obviously a game three win, but in my opinion, they're so good that they go down three, nothing. They could still, still get it going. They just got to find their depth scoring. The power play needs to keep producing. So Interesting start to that series. We'll go right over to Vegas and Vancouver. And before we talk about the series, I want to ask you guys about, I'm not sure if you saw it, but I'll explain it to you if you didn't. Alan Walsh, who's the G, or sorry, the agent for Marc-Andre Fleury, put a tweet out of Fleury being stabbed in the back, basically by a sword or whatever, with DeBoer, head coach Pete DeBoer referring to, his name on the sword. The boar's name was on the sword, basically saying he stabbed him in the back. And I'll give my opinion on it first. You guys can go after that. I understand he's, you know, picking up for his player, and he doesn't think that Flurry should be the backup, and Leonard should have took his job after what Flurry's done for Vegas. And they went to the Cup in the first year, and he played great in the game he played against Chicago. But to me, as an agent, you got to know it's all about the team and in the playoffs. And I would assume Mark andre Flurry has been in that position before. When he was in Pittsburgh, he was scratched, and Murray took over, and they won the Cup. And Flurry's all about winning. So maybe he vented to his agent and was pissed and his agent was trying to pick up for him. But to do it on Twitter when Van, or sorry, when Vegas is in the middle of a series and trying to go on a cup run, to me, is just not the, not the right thing to do, not professional. And uh, I'm shocked he did it, actually. I know he's an outspoken agent, but at that, you know, I don't think it's the, the right time for something like that. And I don't think Flurry would have felt the same way. Even if he is pissed, I don't think he would have done that to his teammates because I'm sure he wants a win. What do you guys I- think? I don't. E- I didn't even get the picture when I first saw it. Like I didn't. I didn't get what he was doing. Like I thought it was just a picture of Flurry getting stabbed with a knife. Like I didn't even understand what was going on. I read into it. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like your 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 clients in the middle of a playoff run. All all Flurry's done his whole career is be a good teammate. First off, Pittsburgh. You go back. He's gotten taken out of playoff series. Still won cups there. He made a huge save on Lidstrom in Game Seven to win them the cup. He's like a a a team guy and you're looking at your agent and he's going out and tweeting pictures like that without even consulting you. I'd fire. I mean, I'd say smell. Well, we don't know. I mean, he could have consulted him. That's to be, I heard Flurry asked him to take it down though. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I guess that, but I don't want to way. I think hockey did not know. No, I I agree. I agree. But I didn't read that yet. So I didn't want to, I didn't even see his comment. I should have probably looked it up, but I just didn't want to uh, let him off scot-free before we knew. But I assumed he wasn't uh, that type of guy. He's like, like we both said, he's been a team guy and he took it on the chin in Pittsburgh when they started Murray. And I don't think he's not going to take it on the chin again. The guy wants to win. Obviously, he'd love to be starting like anybody would be. But when yeah. the team's trying to win, you want to win. But go ahead, Lou. Yeah. I mean, what I was going to say is I just think hockey is more of a team sport than every other sport, just in the way, you know, after a post game interview, when they say, you know, Ask a guy how he scored that goal. It's never I. It's always we. They always give credit to somebody else. It's never, you know, a player taking credit for what happened. He always, you know, thanks his teammates, everything like that. Um, so I'm sure Flurry is a team guy, and this kind of just brings a distraction to the team right now. I mean, Vegas looks great, so I hope it doesn't, you know, derail them or anything. I'm not sure that it will. But it's just a little weird that an agent went out of his way and got a photo photoshopped. Like, this took work to do. And then posted it. So I, I think it's a little weird, not needed, but 
He definitely, it definitely took some work. Yeah, like it's it's a detailed pick. It's not just playing. I bet money the agents got it like framed up in his crib already. You probably paid for it. I think uh, or he's like that run back. <laughs> he asked somebody for their Venmo. This shit wasn't free. <laughs> I think that the team would probably laugh about it. You know, players. If I if it happened to my guy, I, I would laugh about it that his agent did it. It wouldn't bother. I know it's not going to bother players. But I just think it's unwanted media attention, people being asked about it, coaches being asked about it when they're trying to focus on on playing Vancouver. Who knows? Pete DeBoer might have laughed at it, but he's probably saying, what is this idiot doing? We're trying to we're trying to win a series right now, and his client's on the team. It's just unnecessary, but I don't think it will bother. I actually know, almost know for a fact that it's not going to bother players. They, don't, they can give a shit what an agent's doing. They're focused on winning, and they're playing really well. So pretty funny i just wanted to bring that up before we talk about the series but convincing game one win for vegas anyhow five nothing after vancouver played that well against st louis so vegas rolled right along i don't think uh, vancouver is going to go away anytime soon but a really good convincing win to start so do you guys think vegas puts that series away pretty quick or does it drag on and vancouver continue to do what they did against st louis what do you got lou uh, vegas looks really good I'm kind of on the Vegas train right now to win it all. So I think, you know, I could see the Canucks winning a few games. They look pretty good. They score. They got a lot of skill. But I think Vegas does win. I'll say Vegas in six. Uh, I thought the Canadians forechecked well against the Flyers. I know they lost the series. But I don't think I've ever seen the team win puck races so consistently like the Knights do. Like, if there's a chip out of the zone from, like, you know, Theodore, when he doesn't make a play, I swear, Tuck's beating the, beating the guy to the puck. It's not Tuck, it's Mark Stone winning a stick battle. Like, they got a bunch of fucking mooses on their team. You get low in the corners against those guys, forget about it. They could cycle for fucking five minutes straight. Yeah, they got uh, they got good speed. I actually really like um, Vegas is the best team in that, that conference remaining right now, in my opinion. Them in Colorado, it's a real toss-up between the two of them, even though Colorado's down 2-0. But I really like that Vancouver team. So I don't see them going away anytime soon. I expect a real good game from them tonight. But you'd probably obviously it's easy to say with Vegas being in one nothing lead in the series. Yeah. I expect Vegas to win the series, but I in my I wouldn't be shocked to go seven at all. That Vancouver team's good, and if they get the goaltending that they've been getting, they'll uh, they'll be right there because their power play is deadly as well. I they think the Canucks good. were just shocked by that. Oh, yeah, it's game one, two, and it gets out of control. It goes to three, nothing, you know, two, three, nothing, and you know, they start to fade away next Start thing, chasing you know, a bit. Five. Yeah, it finishes five nothing. It is what it is. You move on. You don't even know. They're a really a- good team, though. No disrespect, but Vegas yeah. is a wagon. Yeah, Vegas is definitely a wagon. But uh, I like Vancouver. They're deep, man. All over the roster. All right, we'll send it over to the East. Obviously, we got a game live right now while we're recording. We got Tampa, Boston. Boston leads one nothing in the series, one one game as we're speaking. But uh, that first game was great. I thought Tampa played really well. Just came out on the losing end. I expect the series to go like that almost the entire time going to be tight back and forward. Both teams are going to play good hockey. It's just who's going to get the bounces to win the series. And obviously in game one, Boston took it, but I think I'm projecting real, really going out on a limb here, but seven games, 100%. I hope it's been great hockey. Yeah. I mean, this is like two of the best teams in the East and it could go either way. I really don't have a pick for it. I'm not sure who I think is going to win it. I'm happy that they met finally. It's like, you know, I think 2011, that series went seven. I know it's totally two different rosters, but they've been consistent franchises for the past decade that are always putting up, you know, good rosters. So I can't see it going anything but six or seven. Tampa needs to get it done, though. They always get there. They always lead after the regular season. But they get to the playoffs, and then that's it. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I really like what Tampa did with that third line of Gord, Coleman, and Goudreau. That's uh, that's what they've been missing and needed. And then you got Maroon on the fourth line. They got that bite. They got that jam now. So <laughs> I don't see them going anywhere either. They're going to play good hockey and, and be right there. But, well, you know, Boston could easily win the series because they're just as good as a team, if not better. But uh, it's going to be tight. Just you see that? to go certain ways. You see that Bogosian to Coleman goal tonight? Yeah, it was unreal. Bogosian yeah, I thought that was you. I, I thought Bogosian was you for a second. Hit him with the, <laughs> under, the, under the pyramid, went to the net. I don't think Krug thought it was coming. I think Krug maybe expected a chip to the wall or like a little bump, and Bogosian took advantage of it and went right through him and made a great play for a diving Coleman. That was sick. And, you know, Bogosian's been real good for them, actually, playing with Hedman. I swear, Coleman's always scoring when he's falling down. Yeah, remember the goal he scored when he was at the Devils? That like <laughs> one hand. Yeah, the one hand. It was sick. He's been a real good pickup for them, though. They paid a big price for him, but I think uh, – I'm sure they would say he's been worth it so far. 
Uh, only other series before we move on, maybe talk about a little NBA, some other sports for once. We've been all hockey the last two weeks. Uh, Philly and the Islanders. I'm sure the fans listen to it. Ranger fans listen to us. I love this series, but uh, real good game for the Islanders last night. Good goaltending. The Islanders are, I always say this about the Islanders, when they're defending and you think they're getting outplayed, it doesn't phase them. They're kind of okay with it. It just, they know how to survive it and, and roll through it. And Varlamov makes a save. They box out at the front. They got big D and they kind of, they kind of just find it. It looks like they're getting destroyed. Like, Oh my God, this team's going to score. And on their bench, I'm sure it's just like not a big deal at all. They know how to ride the wave and just get through it. And then they go right back on the attack. Like nothing happens. So they did that last night because Philly had a real good second and they come out and score three and a third and, and have a decisive game one win. So Philly needs to, uh, you know, they need to score really against the Islanders. You're not going to score because the Islanders will beat you one, nothing. They don't care. And Philly came on in the second period. If you're not going to finish on them, it's going to be a long series and you can be out of there quick. Look what happened to Washington. I, I rewatched the game and every time Philly was in the offensive zone, I thought the Islanders had seven guys out there. They're just tight gaps. They play so positionally well. They don't really chase if, unless they have to. But I mean, they're D. De- I said it before, you know, last series. They're, the Islanders' defensive core has gotten better every time, you know, every year for the past probably three, four seasons. Yeah, their guys are developing too. I mean, you got Pulak and Mayfield, and we talked about them last week as well. Pulak, Mayfield, Pellick, and Andy Green scores a big goal for them, a veteran defenseman. I mean, you're talking about uh, a really solid defensive team that makes good first passes. They're good. They And everyone's on the same page, which you can tell every time you watch them play. you got an entire group of people on the same exact page, and that's why they're winning games, and they're getting good goaltending. So it would be curious to see how Philly responds in game two and to see if they could push that series a little deeper because if the Islanders get up 2-0 again, it could, uh, it could be trouble. Yeah, my opinion here, I like the Isles. I feel like they have a nice playoff style that they play. But I think the key for the Flyers, one of my he's really one of my favorite players in the last 10 years, and I feel like he's pretty underrated, is Giroux. But he, he needs to step up, in my opinion. Four points in 10 games isn't going to get it done for the Flyers. They need him to contribute. He's a power play quarterback for them, so he needs to get going. If he could get going, then I feel like the Flyers, you know, definitely are going to be back in it. But they definitely need to see some production out of G. I'm pulling hard for that guy, man. It's tough. He, he looks just like I his foot speed. Player. He's great. He's been awesome. He's a Philly legend. He's my favorite flyer all time. But, yeah, he's got to get going a bit. I think he will. It's a long series. But, like you said, man, the Islanders' defense is it's impressive. A lot of teams, man, a lot of teams look good defensively. They're not giving up much. These playoffs are getting lower and lower scores. The bubble is tight. The, bu- <laughs> the bubble is very tight, believe me. Um, moving on, let's go into uh, a little NBA. We haven't talked about the NBA or anything at all, so let's talk I don't a little bit. We're, we're sick about it. Not much. We're not going to talk much about it because the Sixers are gone and we don't really care much about the rest of it. But uh, what do you guys think? Who are you guys going to pick to win this whole thing here? Hey, guess what? I think if – the Mavs had a healthy Porzingis. I think they can knock the Clippers off here. Oh, I know he's banged up a little bit, but Doncic is a bona fide star. He's great. Yeah, that brother could ball. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. His game winner. It was insane. That ball was in the air for fucking four seconds. <laughs> Doncic is turning into one of the uh, to one of the best he's players in the NBA. Guy. Like very, very, very fast. You could probably consider him top five right now. Um, I do think the Clippers will hold on to win that series, though, whether Porzingis comes back or not. So who's your pick to win the the whole thing? You gave me a hypothetical victory for – Just talked about Porzingis. Yeah, you gave me a hypothetical victory for Dallas, but who's going who's gonna to win? Uh, I'm still going to go with the Clippers. <laughs> They're going to get past wow, that. So you had the Clippers possibly lose it. Now you got to win it. Yeah, dog, what? Oh, I mean, come on. You really love hate with the Clippers here. I said it was possible that they would lose, but I think they're going to move on. Well, and they're just so deep. They got they – got, they got guys up and down the bench that could come in and score. Lou Williams scores. I don't like the Lakers as much because they can't shoot that great. They don't score. Please. I mean, but you can't. Dude, count they them. just won by 35 points. Well, LeBron yeah, went off. 135. They were hitting shots. Here's Yeah, you want to talk about gone missing. Paul George. I don't know who took over his powers and stole him, but that guy couldn't hit a three. <laughs> it was like the penalty. Dude, the Monstars got him. I don't know what's yeah. going on. You gotta come with the basketball, so put your hand on this. <laughs> he's he's been all Kawhi looks at him when he's open, he turns the other way, he puts his hand up. Yeah, Kawhi. Kawhi him. I gave we when we talked about this in like episode three or four, whatever it was, Kawhi is the best player in the NBA. I don't care what anyone says. He's so good, it's insane. 
he takes guys to the rack and defends guys like it's not even. I mean, it's unbelievable. Hey, hey, hey. You boys hey, think hey. the Heat are sleepers out of the East? No, not they'll beat Milwaukee. Later rounds. They're going to beat Milwaukee, I think. Well, so who do they lose to in the East and Boston? Well, Toronto gets Lowry back, probably Toronto. Yeah, Toronto does, brother. I think Boston looks Boston, really good. I think Boston will beat them too. But uh, so who you had the Clippers winning it? Huff, who you got winning it? I think the Lakers could find a way. Yeah, I'd like both. No one in the East impresses me. Oh, I think Boston's really good. Yeah, but I don't think they could beat the Lakers or the Clippers in a seven-game series. Yeah, I mean, I'm probably going to go with the Clippers as well. I always have. I think the Clippers are better than the Lakers. But uh, on a side note, the team we all like and like to talk about, Sixers, um, I got to give Brett Brown, Brett Brown credit. I said this yesterday, but uh, he probably knew he was going to get fired no matter you know no matter how they lost that series i guess unless it went 7 and they lost another heartbreaker right he probably still would have got fired coached his ass off he takes the fall for a failing team an underachieving team coached his ass off was showing emotion throwing his shoe or whatever he was throwing through a chair and uh, one thing i didn't like about the nba players yesterday the sixers players was you lost and you know your coach is probably going to get fired right and they came out in the media and I'm not saying you have to defend him and say, we hope he comes back next year. We love him. He's the greatest coach ever. But just deflect the question. And instead, you had guys from the Sixers kind of teeing off on him and not and not picking up for him. Meanwhile, I think any day of the week, he would have picked up for them guys, even though he was probably more than disappointed in them. Josh it's hard to see Brett no go. Accountability. And to me, you don't do that to a coach. Whether you like him or not, you never throw a guy that was there for you and coached you under the bus. So I didn't like that. And I thought that uh, Brett Brown wouldn't have done that to them guys. And they just did him, and you knew he was going to get fired. Listen, if you go to your end of the year meeting and you're talking to the GM or your basketball team or your hockey team or whatever, and you give your honest opinion on the coach, I guess you, that's what you want to do. Be my guest. But to take it in the media when you know the guy's probably going to get fired and dig in on him a little more, didn't like that at all. And not just because it's the Sixers, any team, any sport. I don't like when you throw a coach under the bus, no matter how he – that's just uh, – to me, you do that either to his face or, you know, whatever. Didn't like that. I don't know if you guys seen that or not, but yeah, I mean, I completely agree. There's time and place for it. If you know, you could address your feelings with Brett after the game or in your post, you know, meeting, anything like that. It's not something I would do, not something you see a ton of guys do, but you know, the world and sports are kind of changing right now. Players being more and more vocal um, and expressing their feelings. So I guess it's just, you know, the times we're living in right now. Everyone just gets butt hurt and they start bitching about the coach, but basketball is like, it's a coaching carousel out there. I feel like it's every two seasons new teams are dishing their coaches and trading guys. So, I don't know. Basketball, to me, coaching is uh, <clears throat> it's short-term. Oh, for sure. Every coach – you can't trade a whole entire team. So, a coach has got to go before before most players a lot of times unless you want to rebuild with the coach. But uh, that just is what it is. All right, moving off the NBA, we all give our picks. we got a couple other sports to touch on that we haven't talked about lately, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, NFL is just about three weeks away from returning. Love the NFL. No fans is going to be really weird in the NFL. I think weirder than any other sport. Just such a – it's once a week. Everybody's so pumped for it. So, curious to see how the NFL goes. Hoping they have so many guys, too, with the virus. Hopefully, everything holds up with those guys. But uh, excited for the NFL. Not excited for the NFL without fans. What are you guys? I'm so excited for the NFL. I can't wait. You know, there's just so much that goes into the NFL. Everyone looks forward to it once a week. A lot of guys play fantasy. It's something to look forward to. I know we have a lot of people who bet. That's something else that you look forward to every week um, or not look forward to, depending on your luck. But I'm a big NFL guy. Definitely my favorite sport to watch other than hockey. So I'm excited for it to come back. I mean, fans do change the game a little bit. You know, they could affect the snap count, everything like that. But regardless, if there's fans there, and I think some – fans are actually going to be allowed to be there. I know the Dol- uh, the Dolphins said they're going to allow 13,000 socially distanced fans. So we'll see what happens. I'm just ready for it to come back, ready for some football. Yeah, I just want to watch the Eagles. I hear you. Uh, last sport, MLB. Got some teams still catching the virus that they're shutting down. MLB hasn't been as smooth as uh, the NBA or NHL, probably because of the bubble. But uh, that was their choice, the players' choice. So Falls on them. The teams are playing way less games than others. Cardinals, Phillies, Marlins, Mets trying to catch up. So uh, Nationals. So I'm sure I don't know how the MLB is going to play out, but uh, a little more of a debacle. But um, that's really it for the three major sports. We're pretty much going to 
turn more into a hockey podcast for everybody listening. You know, we'll touch on a little bit of the other sports here and there, but it's basically going here on out. It's going to be more hockey, mostly hockey players. You know, there could be a few special guests from another sport or something, you know, where we want to talk to a guy and, and catch insights on something. But basically we're transitioning into mostly all hockey. So just letting you guys know that. And, uh, We'll go from there. Fellas, do you have a bush that needs to be manscaped? We have the perfect product for you. The Lawnmower 3.0 by Manscaped is the perfect product. I could personally recommend it. I have one. It, it does the job. The ladies don't complain. Head over to their site, manscaped.com. Use our code TD77 for 20% off and free shipping and get your situation situated. That's basically all for today's podcast. Once again, I'm going to keep doing this every episode because we're getting way more followers, listeners, excuse me, than we have followers on Instagram and Twitter. So make sure you guys go to our Instagram, watch your tone, our Twitter, watch your tone, and give us a follow. We have sold some T-shirts that a lot of people seem to be liking. We just basically sold out of both of them. Have a few XLs left in the new USA theme one. So we thank you guys for your support. Appreciate it. Um, make sure you go follow us. Louie, Huff, and Ronnie are doing a great job with the social media page, giving some funny videos and good content. Ron's been killing it. Yeah, Ron's been killing everything. And keeping people updated on sports. So appreciate all the support. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We're happy to have Pepe on and talk more NHL playoffs and, and a lot of other things. So we'll be back next week. We appreciate it, and thanks for listening.